Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. You think that certain things are important and, and you stress out about them. Like you get anxious about them. You think like, oh, well, should this blue be this shade or this shade? Or should I use this typeface or that typeface? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like it, it's not like it, it can be like I've been a designer for 20 years and like I say this knowing that the weight of it, but it's like there are things that are really important in, in, in work that we do and there's things that aren't. And a lot of times it's easier to focus on the things that aren't important because it's hard to think about the things that are. It, it takes like self-reflection or introspection to, to think about like what really matters it. We, we put all of this weight on these other things, on these periphery things, because it feels like we can make progress there. It feels like, oh, I can just, I can change the typeface here. I can change the logo or I can hire another designer. I can pick another Squarespace template. And it feels like, it feels like those things are moving us forward. And I, I just, it's like procrastination, <laughs> I think. And we can't, we're no more likely to, it's just like when people ask like JK Rawlings or Stephen King, like, oh, well, what software did you use to write your book? <laughs> Right. It's like, who the fuck cares? Like, what does that, why, why, why? Yeah. Why? Like, I used a so, napkin, to be honest. <laughs> exactly. Though That's not the thing that makes them good. Yeah. It's not. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Paul, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you, sir. It is so good to talk again. Yeah. So you actually were a guest uh, way back when we were called Blogcast FM. In fact, I think you were one of the last guests we had under the old brand. And that conversation, uh, as I was saying before we hit record here, really resonated with me so much that I have quoted that conversation over and over uh, over the years. And, uh, you know, huge fan of your work. Uh, but before we get into everything that you're up to, uh, your amazing new book, I want to start by asking you, what did your parents do for a living? And what <laughs> impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Sure. Uh, my dad was a mechanical drafts person. So he drew machinery parts for a living. Um, mostly he just whistled and ate chocolate at his drafting board his drafting desk he did mm -hmm. that job oh forever i think for the entire length of time that i was alive and he retired and he he actually did get like the gold watch like this mm -hmm. is such another he's in his 80s now <laughs> this is such a different era of how work works but he had the retirement party in the gold watch uh, my mom up until uh, my sister and i my sister's a year younger up until we were probably 13 or 14 years old she was a stay-at-home mom 
And after that, she worked for a charity and ran the corporate donors program for uh, for a big charity. Um, I don't really think I took anything from the way that they worked um, and applied it to how I work. Because I don't think that I think that work has shifted. I think uh-huh. that the way work worked 30, 40 years ago is different than now. So it's cool that they had fairly stable jobs and they they had jobs that they that they really enjoyed. But I think my, my path ended up being uh, slightly enormously different. Yeah. Did your dad from being uh, a mechanical dress person pass on any lessons in craft and meticulousness? Because it sounds like something to me that would require a lot of attention to detail. And I imagine maybe unknowingly you learned some things as a designer from that. Yeah. I mean, genetically, I think that that I've always been drawn to like shapes and lines and, and, and that sort of thing. His handwriting is like, it could be a typeface. It is so perfect. (laughs) Even now, like he's in his eighties, like he barely writes, but when he writes, like when I get an envelope from them, which isn't even very often, it, his, his writing is a font because Uh every single E is exactly the same. Every single A, every single Q, my writing's garbage. It's just, it's just garbage. I was even working with, because I had to, like, when you publish a book, the publisher sends you a bunch of stickers that uh-huh. you sign and that they put in the book because it's cheaper to send stickers than, than entire books to me and then back to other people. And I showed my wife what my um, signature looks like because I had to sign the books. And she's like, that's awful. Like, why do you have such a crappy <laughs> signature? And so her and I worked on it to kind of get like, a, cause she's like, that doesn't look like a good signature. That doesn't look like a signature of an important person. Not an important person. She's like, you need to work on your signature. And so her, her and I worked on it a little bit. So that the signature for when I was sign when I have been signing books has been slightly different than like the one that I sign on the back of checks and that. But it does, I think it does look a bit nicer, to be honest. But writing is just not my stuff. I'm also left-handed. So yeah. whenever I write anything, everything just smudges anyways. <laughs> it just it's just not good. It's just not a good scene. That's why I type. Yeah, I can relate. Uh, I mean, I do all my writing by hand to start with. And and that's one of the challenges with it is, is that it's just chicken scratch. But I find the process <laughs> of writing by hand to be really meditative. Um, and it just I think it fundamentally changes the way that you write. So yeah. one thing I wonder is you having you know been around parents who've had this very conventional career path. Uh, what advice did they give you about careers? What is the narrative that you were exposed to growing up about work? Because it seems like you seem uh, have just overcome that narrative completely. Uh, yeah, I have. It's it's funny. I think that the first twenty years of my life were me, I guess, pursuing goals that well intentioned adults thought was the best course of action for me. So. I did well in high school and so people and I I was really drawn to computers. I set up the computer labs. I think the final project for the and this was like the first or second year that there was a computer course in school on old. It was the first or second year that there's a computer course in my high school and my friends and I built a video game that we submitted as the final project. And I don't think the teacher could grade it other than playing the game because he didn't really know programming very well. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so I was drawn. So adults at the time, like teachers and my parents and guidance counselors, I guess, were like, well, you should go to university. You do well. You can get into any university. 
pretty much and like get a get a degree in computer science and then by doing so you'll be setting yourself up for uh, a great job that you can go and get at any company my uncle actually worked for IBM for for quite a while i think he retired when he was 35 though so they hired him young and then he retired young but i guess so i went to university and i was doing that and i figured this isn't fun. Like I love computer programming. I love making things, but instead of doing my assignments, I was making websites. Cause at the time, this was like the mid nineties. And at the time the web was just starting and the web was getting graphic. Um, not, not graphic, like violent or sexual, <laughs> right. but, but graphic like images. Yeah. And I was just spending all my time doing that. And I enjoyed it and I loved it. And it's funny. The first I made a website that was like a precursor to Urban Dictionary. I ended up selling the database, and so it was a slang dictionary. I ended up selling the database from that when I closed it to Urban Dictionary, and I so it was a site. I think it was called like Pseudo Dictionary, something like that. And it ended up getting like ridiculously popular or viral or whatever you want to call it. And I like I was doing like radio talk shows in like 1997 or 98, um, talking about a website with like disc jockeys that didn't really understand what the web was. It was in Wired magazine. And I ended up getting um I ended up getting a job offer because of it. And I was so bored at school at the time. And I was like maybe I should just go work. And the job offer was pretty good. And I, and I, I remember taught, so I remember two conversations. The first conversation was with the Dean of computer science, who was like, I told him I'm going to quit. And he was like, well, two things are going to happen. The first is that you're going to regret quitting. And the second is that you'll be back and you'll be older and you'll be pissed off that you're back and you're older. And I'm like, all right, that hindsight will tell. And then the second conversation was with my parents. Like, Hey mom, dad, um, I'm quitting university. Luckily I was paying for university. So I didn't really feel that obligation to them. They weren't paying for it. I was, but it was still a weird conversation to be like, Hey, I'm actually veering from this path that all of these adults have said is the right path. They were, I guess they, they were cool with it. They were understanding of it, but they were also trepidatious and like, I hope this works out <laughs> kind mm -hmm. of thing. And I mean, that was like 20 odd years ago. So it kind of has. And now I don't even know. I don't think they know what I do, man. Like, to be honest, I think, I think they understand that I can, that I write because uh -huh. they have my book. My granddad, who is 93, emailed me. Well, his wife emailed me because he didn't know how to use email yesterday saying that they had seen my book in a bookstore. And that was like, that's understandable. But as far as like making courses and yeah. and software and all of that and blogging and newsletters, they still don't get it. But they're, they've always been accepting of it. And I guess um, cheering me, cheering on me not failing, mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess it's probably the best way to put it. Yeah. Interesting. It, it's funny you say that because I remember the longest time my dad would just tell people that I worked with computers. And I was like, dad, I don't work. I use a computer to make, you know, <laughs> do my work. But other than that, I don't know a damn thing about a computer. So exactly. I'm not tech support. Yeah, exactly. Uh, wow. So really interesting stuff. So I, I want to, uh, you know, you kind of have given us a preview of the trajectory that has led you here. And before we get into a company of one, I want to revisit this conversation that you and I had 
uh, four or five years ago about this whole, I want you to make me a website that look like, looks like Danielle Laporte's because <laughs> that was one of those things that I never forgot so much so that I ended up writing an entire book about that. Why do people do that? Like, and, and particularly, you know, I mean, what is it that they think is going to come from that? And how do you, how do you talk them out of that more importantly? Yeah, I think my favorite, my favorite, um, writing that I've read lately that sticks in my mind, like that story stuck in your mind was knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit and wisdom is not putting it on a fruit salad. Mm. And I think that a lot of people see how, like they see this track for success or they see a successful person out in the world and they focus on the wrong things that made them successful. Like Danielle isn't successful because her site has always looked fucking amazing. I mean, I don't even do it anymore and it still looks great. Yeah. Like, but that's the thing that they see. They see like, oh, well, if I just have a site that looks like that, then I can be popular or make revenue or have like a, a, a business that's talked about. And it's not the case. Like her I, I, arguably, and I know this would never happen, but she could have a site that looks like garbage and still do well. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think that's, but I think that people, especially people starting out, and I don't even think it's a, it's not even a knock on them. It's just more, uh, like, you don't know what you don't know when you start, right? Like, you think that the things are important, you think that certain things are important, and and you stress out about them, like, you get anxious about them, you think like, oh, well, should this blue be this shade or this shade? Or should I use this typeface or that typeface? And it's like, it doesn't matter. Like, it. It's not like it, it can be like I've been a designer for 20 years and like I say this knowing that the weight of it, but it's like there are things that are really important in, in, in work that we do and there's things that aren't. And a lot of times it's easier to focus on the things that aren't important mm -hmm. because it's hard to think about the things that are. It, it takes like self-reflection or introspection to, to think about like what really matters. It we, we put all of this weight on these other things, on these periphery things, because it feels like we can make progress there. It feels like, oh, I can just, I can change the typeface here. I can change the logo or I can hire another designer. I can pick another Squarespace template. And it feels like, it feels like those things are moving us forward. And I, I just, it's like procrastination, <laughs> I think. And we can't, we're no more likely to, it's just like when people ask like JK Rawlings or Stephen King, like, oh, well, what software did you use to write your book? <laughs> right. It's like, who the what does that what why yeah why like i used a so, napkin to be honest <laughs> exactly though that's not the thing that makes them good yeah it's not wow well let's do this uh let's shift gears and get into uh this whole idea of of a company of one and i, I think you know i want to frame it by uh, talking about this what you said in the book you said society has ingrained into us a very particular idea of what success in business looks like you work as many hours as possible and when your business starts to do well you scale everything up in every direction. To this day, this strategy is considered what it takes to be a success in business, solving problems by adding more to the solution. Uh, where does that come from? And why did you decide to take a very contrarian viewpoint to this? Yeah, I think that that comes from just the, it's funny, like we think of business as basically starting at the industrial revolution. And it like commerce has existed for quite a while before that. I feel like businesses and, and economies and corporations at, at scale exi have existed only for a short time, one. And two, 
only made sense for a short time because things like like the Ford factory or those sorts of things, like it was cheaper to make cars on mass. There, there needed to be high adoption rates for these things to take off. And a lot of businesses were like that. And I mean, some businesses still are, but I think that this idea that more is better is wrong, <laughs> first of all. And I mean, I spent years um, looking at research and, and, and gaining stories for the book to kind of prove the point that that isn't that that isn't the case. But I also think that I think it's just human nature. Like I think, and I talked to Danielle and there's an interview in the book with, with Danielle and she's like, it's just, it's just so understandably human to want to be loved and to want to be valued and to want people to respect your opinions or your business. And like, when you think about it, it's like, if I go to a dinner party and somebody's like, not what do you do? Cause that's, fairly easy to answer not always for me not really but for a lot of people it's easy to answer but if you kind of get into the 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 makings of like well what do you do all day it's like if i tell people like i sit in my home office in my sweatpants at a computer and it's the most boring like if you watched me do my work (laughs) you would be bored to tears in about 30 seconds it's not exciting but if i told people like oh i and but still, like I run a business, I run a profitable business, I run a successful business. But if I told people like, oh, I have a like a thousand employees and 18 offices across seven countries, like that sounds better. Mm-hmm. Like I think the the envy that we have in the keeping up with the Joneses that we have in real life and 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 what drives the the machinery of consumerism. Uh, like it follows into business. We kind of keep up with the digital Joneses or the business Joneses. And we see people like Elon Musk and think like, Oh, I want to be a business person. So I need to like emulate him. And he works. He believes that you have to work 80 plus hours a week. He has a couch in his office that he sleeps in. I have a couch in my office too, but I use it for naps and Netflix. (laughs) And he feels like he can't take a vacation because the last two times he took a vacation, his rockets had malfunctions or exploded. And he hasn't in his brain, he hasn't figured out like the difference between correlation and causation. Mm -hmm. But this is like, this is the narrative in, in the business world. I was at the dentist the other day. And there's a BC, I live in British Columbia, BC. So there's a, there's a business magazine, BC business on the, on the table beside the desk in the waiting room. And I think I can't, it said growth or grow, I think three or four times on the cover alone, Mm. because we just equate this idea like, Oh, well more is better. And like bigger is better. And it's not, it's, it's not actually the case. Like there's, it's just, it's just what gets talked about the most. But even if we look at any aspect of the news cycle, what gets talked about the most isn't always the most logical or isn't always the best or isn't even the the nicest, mm-hmm. especially in the news. And so just like looking at the, looking at research and stuff, I just found like there's so many businesses that decide not to grow and end up doing well, or they're, do, they're making so much money that they don't care about getting pressed because it doesn't matter because it's so profitable. And I just think that, uh, so a few points on that. I think first that success is personal. Like if we look to somebody else and want to want to mirror our lives to theirs, we better hope we like what the outcome is. One, if we succeed and if we fail, we better not feel bad at chasing something we probably didn't want in the first place. And the second thing I think is that there's just this tremendous burden, at least for myself, there's this tremendous burden lifted 
if I stop thinking that I have to change the world or, or build a massive business, like I'm so adverse to stress and responsibility. And the reason I have my own business is because I don't want those things. So I I always just want to try to avoid those things. And I like the freedom of having a small business. I like that it doesn't take long to make enough money to be profitable every month. I like that I'm not responsible for the salaries of like, 18 people or a thousand people. And if one of their kids is in university and we have to dance, like all of these stories have played out in my head, like, Oh, if I hire somebody that might be cool. But then when I think about the obligation of that opportunity, I'm like, Oh, they, they might have a mortgage or they might have like kids in university or, and like, if I have to let them go or if business isn't good, like what's going to happen. I just don't want that. Like, I don't want that for myself. A lot of people don't want that for themselves either. Wow. Uh, So one of the things you talk about is the traits of resilient people. And you mentioned a couple of different things, you know, one being an acceptance of reality and the second uh, being a a sense of purpose. But one of the things that I wonder about is resilience in the face of adversity and what separates the people who are and the ones who are not. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Like as the, 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 what you're talking about is this, a study that I, that I mentioned from Dean Becker, who found that resilience is actually the most useful trait if for business success, like more than education, more than training, more than experience, which is good. Cause I have no education. I didn't end up going back to university, didn't end up going back to talk to my, to my, um, to the Dean of the program and say like, ha ha, <laughs> that would be fun. Like in my mind, that would be funny. And I'm sure there's some days when I thought that would be good, but I haven't actually done that. But I think that resilience is, I think more than, like, I, I think a lot of people who aren't entrepreneurs think that being an entrepreneur is really risky. And I don't think that it is, or at least I don't think that it has to be, especially the way that I kind of describe how business could work in the book. But I think that, so if risk isn't required, I do think that resilience is because I think that, it's so, there's so much of work, just so much of life even that is unknown. And there's so much that we have no control over. Like we can have the best like book launch plan. And like, I don't know if it's going to hit the New York times. Like nobody does. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many little things that need to happen for, for those sorts of things to happen. And I think that just being able to Except that we don't control anything. Somebody emailed me yesterday and they're like, well, what do you do about hecklers, like online hecklers of your work? I'm like, I don't, it doesn't bother me because I don't care. Because as soon as I release something into the world, it's not mine anymore. It's everybody that wants to consume it. And that takes, uh, that takes a bit of work and mindset to, to kind of come to that point. But I also think that it, it sets up this resilience because I know that like, I can't, I can only control what I write. I can't control what other people think of my writing. And I especially know that not everybody's going to like it. I, I but I, I can't control it. I don't want to make people like my writing. Mm-hmm. I just want the people who, sh- who would benefit from it to read it and hopefully enjoy it. And if they don't, that's okay. And I think the other parts of resilience um, are also important, like having a sense of purpose because not every day is a good day, even if you work for yourself, even if you have like this wonderful lifestyle business and you're, you're doing something that matters. I like some days are garbage. Like some days are just stressful. Some days it's just too much. And I think if we have a sense of purpose, we can ride out those bad times. Like we can love the work we do, but not love every single trapping of that work. And then the other thing is just the ability to adapt. Like we just have to kind of roll with the punches a lot of times. I think this is such a 
a useful trait to have. And I don't think it's a trait that's ingrained either. I think it's a trait that we can like foster and develop in ourselves because I don't think people are born resilient. I think that they just have to, they, like they have to work at it. They have to work at like giving up this sense of control. They don't even have to be Buddhist. They can just kind of like work, <laughs> they can just kind of work at that and they can work at the ability to adapt. And I really think, man, like, it, it, like success in the entrepreneurial space, however you define it, I think more comes down to like the ability to have this resilience, the ability to roll with the punches, the ability to like fail a whole ton of times and and be able to get back up one more time or the ability to see like, oh, this thing <clears throat> that I was sure was going to work isn't uh-huh. like, how can I move forward? How can I... um how can I do things? How can I make different choices? I mean, you've, you've talked to James Altucher on the show. His Choose Yourself book has been uh, is a really good example of that where there's no, and even um, Oliver Berkman's book, The Antidote, like there's no, if most of the things that that go wrong in our lives aren't going to result in like the worst case scenario, like James talked about in his book, like you don't really run out of ideas. You may have some bad ones, but you can have another one if one isn't working. And then in Berkman's book, The Antidote, he talks about how most worst case scenarios aren't actually the worst case scenario. Like if your business fails, that's awful, but you could start another one. He's, I think he talks about how like the worst case scenario for most people is an embarrassing death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like dying on stage naked. I don't know how you would end up in that situation, but just like something like that, you can't come back from. Mm-hmm. But if if something isn't working or if you need to pivot or if you tried everything you can and it's not going well, like things can change. Things like life is long, man. Like you, you can try different things and we never know going into something if it's going to work, at least for anything that matters. Yeah. Like there's no like five tips we can follow to make sure our business is a success. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah, I, I appreciate this perspective more than you can possibly imagine. I think it, it's right in line with a piece that I just published today on our blog as well as on Medium. And the title of the piece was When You Expect Nothing, Everything Comes to You. And it was largely based on my experience with expectations over the course of last year. And uh, I was watching this documentary, uh, which was about this really brilliant Indian composer named A.R. Rahman. And you know, for those of you listening, even if you don't know who A.R. Rahman is, there's a good chance you've been exposed to his music because he's the guy who created uh, the soundtracks for movies like Slumdog Millionaire and, and a bunch of others. And his albums have sold more than Britney Spears and Madonna combined. Uh, that's how famous he is. And he said something in that movie, documentary. He said, yeah, when you expect nothing, everything comes to you. And, you know, that's such a tough lesson, I think, for creative people and people who do, you know, work in the arts to learn. But I kind of decided to experiment with that for a couple of months and see what would happen. And it just, it seems like the less I expect from my life, the more it keeps delighting me. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think that we we have this this fascination with goals. <clears throat> and we have this idea that like we need to set these huge audacious goals and they are what move us forward in life or they are what give us the opportunities that that we need. And I don't know. I just think, I think that that kind of stuff is, is dangerous and scary to me. Like, I think most goals are fake. Most goals are just artificial targets that we set for the sake of setting an artificial target. Like, oh, I want my business to make a million dollars this year. It's like, why? <laughs> why do you want that? Why do you need a million dollars? Why not two? Why not a hundred thousand? Or like, I want to hit my book to hit the New York Times bestsellers. Like, why do you want that? What are you going to get from that? How do you know what you're going to get from it? Mm -hmm. But I think that the, the, the most messed up thing about these like big goals is that they start out as artificial targets. And then as soon as we set them, they're not artificial in our minds anymore. 
they function then like they're, they're completely made up for the most part. Like sometimes you need to set specific goals. Like I need to make X amount of money to pay my mortgage and feed my kids. I'm not talking about those kind of goals. I'm talking about the like the, the pie in the sky ones, but these made up numbers, they function or these made up things. They just function as like unnecessary stress until they're achieved or abandoned. Mm-hmm. And like, I was listening to an interview with, um, with the nasty gal founder, Sophie or Sophia. Sophia Yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about how she had like a year or two into her, her nasty gal business. She was doing so well and venture capitalists came calling and she was like, okay, maybe like she had a profitable business. She's like, okay, maybe. And then they were talking about like goals and they were talking about, well, you have like, I think it was like $24 million um, a year in in revenue, and so they're like, "Well, we need. Why don't we go for 120 million dollars of revenue for next year?" It's like, why? <laughs> Who pulled this number out of whose ass to, to to come to this? And I think they hit something like 60 million dollars instead, but uh-huh. it was a failure. And like, what kind of messed up thing has to happen when 60 million dollars in revenue is like, uh, wah wah wah? Like, yeah. well, we tried. We only made $60 million. And then that kind of created a spiral of like the valuation of her business from the first investors led to not being able to get more investors because the growth wasn't at a rate that they thought it would be and the company was overvalued. And like, she learned a lot. She's probably one of my favorite business people because she's awesome. Yeah. But like, it, and in learning that lesson, like she took a profitable business, like focused on growth and then had to basically shutter it down. Mm-hmm. And it's like when we set these goals, even for myself, like I, when I started work like 20 years ago, I was like, I'll be successful if I make a million dollars a year. And I started working like 16 hour days. And like after a month or two, I was like, why am I doing this again? And there was like no actual reason. I'm like, why do I need a million dollars? And I, there was no answer to that. And I was like, this is like, why? Why am I doing this? Like, this is just. This is just bad. And, but that's how, like, that's kind of the way that society works is like, well, we need to like continue to grow, continue for more, continue to consume. And like, there's not very many resources on the planet or in business that are infinite, right? Like, that's kind of why we've fucked our environment up because there aren't infinite <laughs> resources. Mm. And if we look at like unmanaged rapid growth and like anything other than business, like in biology, that's called cancer and cancer isn't a good thing, right? Like, but this is the way like, oh, this is how business works. This is how capitalism works. This is how, what we need to do to succeed. And it's like, why? I feel like I'm the guy in the back. I feel like I'm Hans Molman to make like the random Simpsons reference. I feel like I'm Hans Molman, like raising my hand. Like for some reason, there's a bunch of adults in a class in an episode of the Simpsons and he just kept asking questions and they were bad. But I feel like I'm that guy, but the questions aren't bad. They're logical at least to me mm-hmm. wow uh you know it's it's interesting because uh you know you have an entire section in this book about staying small as the end goal which i think makes a you know a perfect segue from what we were just talking about you know you said that too often businesses forget about their current audience the people who are already listening buying and engaging these should be the most important people in your business f- f- you know far more so than anyone you wish you were reaching 
And I think that really struck me because, uh, you know, people have often asked us, why haven't you guys done a podcasting course? I was like, because we don't know shit about how to market a podcast. Like, <laughs> we literally don't. We don't know any tactics. We couldn't teach you anything. The only people who've made us grow are our listeners. Uh, and that's happened very organically over 10 years. Like, we've never participated in review exchanges or, or any of that. But this was such a, a reinforcement of that for me because I, I will tell you, there have been times when I did obsess over metrics. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of these questions has been on my mind lately because I'm, you know, working on this book proposal for an idea about success on your own terms and what that looks like. And one of the things that I started to look at is how we measure our lives. Uh, you know, Clayton Christensen wrote an amazing book about this called, you know, how to, you know, how will you measure your life? But I wonder in the midst of all this, uh, one, you know, how do people serve their existing audience best, um, and maintain this idea? And, you know, for you, how do you measure your life now? Uh, like what are the metrics that determine, you know, your own version of success? Yeah. So for, for the audience piece, it's, um, I'd like, I, I've always for my own business focused on retention over acquisition and in focusing on retention, it's really just like paying attention to them talking to them and empathy. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like my business would be awful if, I didn't know my audience. Like I wouldn't know how to run a business that makes any money if I didn't have direct connection to my audience every week. Like my Sunday dispatches newsletter has been around for six years. I haven't missed a Sunday other than like scheduled breaks when I'm writing a book or, or taking a vacation. And that just gives like, I just have a direct access. It doesn't count. Like the newsletter doesn't come from no reply at Paul. It's like, my personal inbox. People are always surprised when I reply. I'm like, what did you, you, you replied to me. Like, what did you think was going to happen? Mm. I don't have, I don't employ robots or, or personal assistants or anything like that. I'm not important enough for either. But I think that it, in folk, like the people who, the people who are already part of your audience are the most important people because they're the, already the ones who are paying attention. Mm-hmm. Like you've already got their attention. You're already doing something that's, that's useful enough for them to stop and listen. Like, I don't understand how they aren't the most important people in every business ever. Mm-hmm. Like, it, just, it boggles my mind that that's not the case. And I mean, even to bring up Danielle again, just because her interview in the book was, was one of my favorites. Um, she talked a lot about how she did focus on, on growth for, for a while as well. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of really scaled back. And she was like, I think her, her, her mantra or her business, um, like mission wasn't was to to spread light in the beginning and mm-hmm. then she was then she it had altered and and it updated to like spread light to those who are listening mm-hmm. or to those who are, are who already have a seat at the table yeah. because they've shown up for dinner kind of thing and it just makes so much more sense to to do that because like i know what my audience wants because i talk to them yeah i know what they like or dislike about the products i build because i talk to them I have direct conversations with them. I do live Q and A's. We have email exchanges. We talk on Skype sometimes. It just makes so much sense. And then to the point about how I measure um, business success, I guess in in my own life, it's it's freedom. Yeah, like that's the that's the metric, and it's such a it it feels so like hippie or like just out there, but it feels so pragmatic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it feels like such a pragmatic way to think for me because it's like every every decision I make in my business, I think that every opportunity has like an obligation on the back end of it. 
it just has like a it just has like a prettier positioning because it's an opportunity but really opportunities are are obligations mm-hmm. they just sound nicer right so i'm always thinking about like how does this impact my freedom like is is saying yes to this going to mean i may have to say no to something that i that i don't want to say no to down the road or is taking this on going to mean that like i i'm going to remove options from my life like i really like having options like I don't like to be in a position where like something has to work or something bad's going to happen mm-hmm. or I have to take on this project because I bought like a massive house and a bunch of cars and now I need to sustain my lifestyle. Like I want to be comfortable, but I want to have like just enough so that I am comfortable so that I need as little as possible to 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 like cover my expenses and, and that sort of thing. So I'm always looking for like what option because life business whatever you want to say is is just is just like be us being presented with decisions and having to figure out what the best one is for us and for me it's always like well what's the outcome of saying yes to this or no to this and how does it impact my freedom mm-hmm. and that's kind of how like it doesn't always work yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not a perfect system but i think that any any rule that's absolute is too abstract to matter. So, I mean, sometimes I'm going to choose a bit less freedom because it might lead to more freedom in the future. But in general, it's like, if this thing leads me towards more freedom or leads me towards more choice, then yeah, that makes, that makes sense to me. I'm going to say yes to that. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting. You talk about an existing audience and I I may have, you know, ran across your, your feed. Uh, I published this piece, uh, both on our blog and medium about how to build an audience of a thousand true fans in a noisy world, which is, you know, and and I said this like close to a decade ago, Kevin Kelly wrote about the idea of 1000 true Mm -hmm. fans, 1000 people who will support your work, buy everything you create and allow you to earn a living. But as people became internet famous, bloggers became bestselling authors and social media platforms quantified every aspect of our humanity. We became obsessed with metrics. We started to value hearts over eyeballs and reach over depth, and it kind of worked. Yeah, it's it's messed up. Like, if I think about, like, it's just so weird. Like, if I think about, like, say, my mailing list, and I, I don't know, there's like 30,000 people or something on that, and I could be like, well, that's not enough. Like, James Clear is, uh, James Clear is like maybe five or six or a million, yep. like, audience members. But, like... If I think about that, like if I think about, okay, well, let's put all of them in a room. Uh-huh. That's a big room. Like that's a huge, <laughs> I don't know where we're like, that's all, that's like half of a football state. It was like half of a big football stadium. Yeah. Like even if I just think about, okay, if my open rate's 50%, I put 15,000 people in a room. Those are the people who are paying attention. Mm-hmm. I would be scared to talk to 15,000 people. <laughs> I'd be scared to talk to a hundred people. Like that's just, it's just so like when we do start to think about the metrics of that uh-huh. and we take the, the people out of it, it's like, there's people behind keyboards and it like, it, it feels abstract, but it feels less abstract to think about it that way than to think like, okay, these are just numbers. Like even if you look at like website traffic, yeah. it's like, Oh, I got a hundred like unique views today. Well, that's a hundred people. Like that's, awesome and even if i think like because the book mostly talks about like enough and defining enough and thinking about enough and it's like if i think about it if i think about the numbers in in, in that regard then it feels a lot better and more human to me because like, if i think about okay my audience size right now my mailing list size right now it's at a it's at a size where when i send out an email on the weekend i get 
150, 200 um, replies. And like, I can deal with that. I can reply to all of them. I can read every single one and answer any questions people have. That gets me to know my audience as super beneficial to me as a creator, but it's also beneficial to me as a business. Mm -hmm. If that grew by 10 times or by 100 times, I don't know how I would deal with the volume. And I probably just wouldn't. I probably just wouldn't be able to answer. I wouldn't be able to read them all. I wouldn't be able to answer them. So in growing my audience larger, it wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense for my business. Like it would probably negatively affect my bottom line. <laughs> like if I think about it. And so it's just like when we start to think about things in, in that way and start to think about like, well, how many true fans or how much of an audience do I need where I can pay attention to them almost as much as they're paying attention to me and I can support them and foster relationships with them, then, then it doesn't like, I don't need more in that case. I don't need to grow to a massive business. I don't need to do like paid acquisition. I don't even know how to do paid acquisition. I don't even have a Facebook account. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do all of these like things to, to grow because they don't, they don't matter to me. And it's just a, it like, it, dude, it feels like this is the way business used to work. Like it feels like before the industrial revolution, I'm not a Luddite. I think technology really amplifies this, but I think that before all of that, before economies of scale happened, like there were businesses that existed so well, multi-generational, they replied on other, or they, they relied on other small businesses to operate and they just worked and like everybody was taken care of because everybody took part in a, a part of the supply chain, a part of the whole. And it made like a functioning ecosystem of commerce. Mm -hmm. And nowadays we can do that, I think, a little better with technology and communication that we have. But like that way kind of worked like that. That way was 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 not bad. So I think like I'm not saying that we and close down every single massive company and go back to that. But I think that not every business has to be massive to succeed. I think that companies like Airbnb, for example, like if they had two properties, mm -hmm. they're not really going to do very well. But like for a business like mine, a business like yours, it doesn't have to be like 100 people, 1,000 people yeah. to, to, to give us freedom, to give us revenue, to, to give us profit. Like, eh. Wow. Um, I want to go back to, to something, you know, that you said earlier in the book, which, uh, I feel is, is something that's really kind of amplified in the world that we live in. And in my mind, one of the real downsides of, of what we've done with technology, you said, you know, Socrates said that envy is the ulcer of the soul, meaning we can easily become negatively affected by the success of others, who we are and what we actually want to become, uh, became overshadowed when we internally compare ourselves to others. We idolize people like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, and Oprah and think that their path to success creating massive empires is our own key to happiness and fulfillment. Uh, and that that really struck me because, uh, you know, we had this guy, Will Storr here, who, you know, many of you listening will have heard, who talked about, you know, the fact that we've become self-obsessed and we have no idea what it's doing to us and that the impact of this narrative is incredibly toxic. Uh, and I wonder, uh, you know, how you contend with that. I mean, you just mentioned you don't have a Facebook account. I've been on a 30 day social media hiatus and I've just noticed suddenly that my anxiety is a lot lower. Uh, and I, I noticed the less time I, I, I spend online, um, I'm not comparing myself to people. I'm not saying, Oh, why did this author hit the New York times bestseller list? And I didn't like, none of that is happening anymore. And I just, I wonder what your experience with that has been. Yeah, I mean, we compare our insides to people's outsides. <laughs> like that's pretty much what the internet is, yeah. is we see like, perfectly manicured Instagram. Like that's why I'm not on Instagram either. Just made me feel bad about myself that like my, my hair isn't as nice as a blogger or like my 
like the view that I have today isn't good. Or like, if I'm not documenting things, they don't matter. And it's like, actually kind of matter more if I'm not documenting them. Like my wife was always like, because I've always been into photography, not even caring about posting or social media, but just like photography. And she's like, why are you spending like 15 minutes trying to take a picture of the sunset? Like the sun is fucking setting. Like (laughs) put your camera down and just look (laughs) at it. How about that? And I mean, it's just so, yeah, it's just, and like just reading studies of like children who are getting depressed. It breaks my heart. Like kids who are getting depressed because they can't build like, a YouTube channel to like the size of, of like big YouTubers. And it's just like, that hurt. Like it's or like Pat Flynn uh, tweeted yesterday. I think it was that somebody left like just the, the most awful, like I'm not even going to repeat a comment on his kid's social media on his kid's um, YouTube channel. Jeez. And like, what? <laughs> why? Like, this is, this is just bad. Like, I don't like, it's hard to, exist in a in a world like that when there's just so much like it feels like we're we're putting our self-worth into we're saying like our lives only matter by virtue of like how many people are paying attention uh-huh. and like when we think about it that way like it that, that doesn't make sense to me like that doesn't make sense to, for as like a, a way to measure self-worth uh-huh. like I, with, how can self-worth be measured in any way by external factors? It's self, it's self-worth, like the, the first word in the term is self. So it's just, it's just hard. And this envy that, that kind of pops up because of these things it is really hard. And it's like, even just like in business, it's like reading other bloggers, like income reports. Uh-huh. Like it's cool that they're transparent and I don't necessarily think that they're inherently bad or wrong, yeah. but like, most of the income reports I see are people who make six figures a month. <laughs> and it's like, not that many people make six figures. I don't make six figures a month. Uh-huh. And it, it's just, yeah, it becomes, it becomes difficult. And I think that, I just think that there's this like mind, and it's something to work. It's not something I'm even all that good at, but there's, um, there's a Sanskrit term called uh, mudita and I'm probably mispronouncing it, but, and it's just, it's just, and I think that that can pot that possibly has the answer to um, not being envious of others, but finding ways to to find joy in other people's success. It, it means to like have joy and uh, appreciation in other people doing well or better. Mm-hmm. And I just think that one, we never know the whole story of anything that we see or anybody that we see online. Like there's lots of people who post like really great picture, or a picture of them smiling and they're really depressed or like we don't see the full story of, of anything or anybody online. Yeah. But the other thing is, it's like, it's not a, it's not a zero sum game. Like if somebody's happy, it doesn't mean somebody else has to be sad. Uh-huh. If somebody is a success in business, it doesn't mean like, oh, that's full. Everybody else fails today. It's like, that's not really, that's not really how it works. So I think if we, if we kind of work at, and myself included, work at finding the joy in, in seeing other people do well and seeing other people happy and seeing other people succeed, then we're, we're hopefully a bit less likely to, to have that envy that's, that, that thieves, that thieves all the joys. Yeah. So funny you say that. Cause I, I remember Danielle recently wrote a post on medium about the fact that 2018 was the hardest year of her life. And I remember thinking, I was like, wow, I wouldn't have known that from even seeing her in person when I've had conversations yeah. with her. But, uh, you know, I started writing this post. I don't know what it came, you know, it was one of these crazy morning writing sessions. And I was like, you're not a reality TV star. So why do you live like it? Hmm. Uh, and I'm not done with it, but now you've given me some more fodder for it. Um, yeah. 
Well, dude, this has been uh, amazing, as I, I kind of expected it would be. Uh, you know, it's funny because we haven't really talked about the book, uh, even though we've been <laughs> talking fine. about the ideas in the book the entire time. Uh, so, uh, you know, obviously, I want to give you a chance to to you know tell people a little bit about the book, where they could find out uh, more about it and all that. Yeah, I mean, I, dude, I feel like the I feel like the book is, and I feel like uh, good business books are. It's like a philosophy book or a mindset book that's wearing like a business jacket, yeah, or like a or like a nice gray pencil skirt. <laughs> it's more of a philosophy book that talks about business than a business book. And I think that a lot of books um, that are interesting in business are kind of like that. I'm not even saying my book is interesting. I think it is, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, is that I think there, there are definitely a lot of business books that focus on like the blueprint or the formula or the answers. Uh-huh. Company of One doesn't have a single answer in it. It's so funny. Like even I was talking to my editor and this is like a year and a half, two years ago when, when I was writing the book and he was like, well, why don't we end every chapter with directives with like things that people can do to make sure that they, that they do well. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, maybe. And I started to think about it. I'm like, no, I'm like, wait, there are like, how can I tell people what they need to do to succeed if I don't know what success looks like to them? So I was like, how about, they're quite, how about I make them questions instead? Cause like, I don't know the answer. So I can't give people answers and I can't tell people what the directives are because there aren't any, like the book has no answers. So instead we shifted it to, I'm so glad he was like, he signed off on that. Yeah. So it's just all questions. Like the book is just a, a way to, to think about the questions you need to be thinking about to determine what enough is uh-huh. in business. You can apply all the things to your life as well, but that's really what company of one is. And it doesn't literally mean that you operate a one-person business. I don't have a one-person business. It's just more of a mindset. It's just like Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week. And it, nowhere in it does he argue that you work four hours and stop. Yeah, It's just more of a, a, more of a mindset thing. And the book is, I guess, available, audio, digital. Um, what's the other one? Physical. Yeah. yeah, actually printed on Amazon, in stores. It's got distribution so if you want to find it you can you can find it in most places well, i can't recommend the book highly enough and i Thank have you. uh one final question for you which is how we finish all of our interviews with the unmistakable creative what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable yeah i think that yeah that's a that's a good question i think that it's i think it was carl Jung who said um it sounds like such a like dumb way to start an answer what was was psychologist carl jung but he said that the privilege of a lifetime is to become who you are i think that people are drawn to that i think that it's really hard just like how we started the uh this conversation about how it would tell people that they don't want a website that's like daniela ports because it's not going to serve them Uh i think that people are like when you are honest and when you are true to who you are and what you want I think that draws people to you. I think people can, I mean, people can, people are smart. People all have bullshit detectors. People can sense your intentions, whether you want them to or not. So I think that if you, if you operate from this place of like, not what do other people want of me? Like, like we talked about what I did for my first 20 years, but instead if we think about like, what do I actually want? Like, what does success look like to me? What does enough look like to me? Mm. And that's the, that's the place that we share from. I think that 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 leads to to becoming unmistakable, and maybe it's being unmistakable to like five people. And what's wrong with that? Maybe it's a hundred people or a thousand true fans. But like the number at that point doesn't matter because you're making a difference. It's funny. The one one more story 
um, when I was a touring musician ages and ages ago, it was sometimes difficult because we were like popular enough to tour, but not popular enough to play like massive stadiums or even like huge bars. And some nights it would be, I, I would get a little distraught because there'd be like three people in the bar and two of them were just the regular, like old dudes who went to just the bar every single night. And like, it would be, it would be difficult sometimes to like continue, but then like some nights there would be like one or two people there. And I remember one time we were playing a show uh, just North of Vancouver at a house sound brewery or something. I don't even know if it still exists. And somebody came up to um, us after the show and was talking to my wife, who's a singer in that band. And they were like, I just wanted to tell you that like, I, I was going through a rough time in my life. And like, I was thinking about ending it and your music, our music was really, really dark. <laughs> and they're like, well, it, it, that really helped. Like that helped me understand things and that helped me kind of think about things in another way. And that helped me kind of get through that. And I'm like, that's the most important thing. Like that's like, t- like, changing one person's mind about something is huge. Like it's huge. It doesn't matter if we had like 10 followers on social media or a million, like one person kind of taking something that we created and and making a change that resulted in something better in their life is, is, is just like so enormous that like that has always stuck with me of like, one person doesn't like reaching one person matters being unmistakable to like a single human being is like the biggest thing in the world. Wow. Amazing. Uh, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights with our listeners. It was a real joy to have you back. Uh, for a second yeah, thanks, man. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work and everything else that you're up to? Uh, the book is called Company of One. Google it. Uh, and I am Paul Jarvis. You can Google me as well. My newsletter is called The Sunday Dispatches, uh, pjrvs.com. That's where I share everything from book ideas three years before I write them, like with Company of One, and just things that I'm thinking about and talking about, things like we just had a conversation about too. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we'll wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.